Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast this week coming to you from the Wardolph Astoria Hotel in central London. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Andy Murray, Alex Bell and our special guest, Australian scientist, author of great named books like House of Carls, Game of Knowns, Fifty Shades of Grey Matter. It's Dr. Karl Kruschelnitsky. Very good pronunciation. Thank you. <laughs> and once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Dr. Carl. Yes, uh, my favorite fact is two people in Sydney every week get bitten by ticks and shortly after become allergic to meat for the rest of their lives. Now, I'm, I'm hyping it up a little bit. They're only allergic to non-primate mammals. But if they have beef... For example, uh, several months after the event, they can then become allergic to meat for the rest of their life wow. and go into the full anaphylactic reaction. None, none of this sort of like, I have the vapours, I must lie down. But the full, I can't breathe, my face is swelling. If you do not not give me adrenaline, I will die. Anna, as in wrong, and phylaxis to guard. So your body is going into a wrongly triggered immune reaction. I really like that a lot of them can still eat chicken and fish, just like most semi-committed vegetarians. (laughs) 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 They're like, no, I'm allergic to all meat. Well, I mean, I'm not allergic to fish or chicken. And it's the worst punishment for an Australian imaginable, not being able to have a barbecue. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Chicken and fish barbecue only. Yeah. Yeah. So so what happens is that um, there's a bandicoot and it's carrying around in its blood, in its body, in its meat, a chemical called alpha-gal. So the alpha-gal goes, this chemical, alpha-galactose, goes from the bandicoot into the tick and then into you. We humans do not have it. And here's the weird thing about it. It's the first known allergen that um, is a sugar. And the result of that is that two people a week in Sydney will start hoeing into a bit of regular meat and then suddenly start trying to drop dead. Wow. That's right. Has this been going on for a long time and we've just found out? Or Um, it's not like a new species of super tick? Well, the tick is only the vector that carries. Yes. It's carrying, but maybe the the tick is now evolving to be able to carry a larger amount. Because I was always wrong about evolution. I went to the Galapagos Islands last month. So I read the book, um, The Beak of the Finch. It's amazing. It blew my mind. It's about evolution. Evolution happens really quickly. So when you look at it in the fossil record over hundreds or thousands or millions of years, you're seeing the beginning point and the end point, and you don't see that in between, but it jumps up and down violently. So yes, your point about the tick evolving could in fact be true. So uh, another thing on uh, parasites and ticks and things like that, um, tortoises find it very hard to get rid of ticks because of their necks and because of the way they can't stretch around uh, and their shells. So North American wood tortoises, they just walk into ants' nests and they just sit in the middle of the ants' nest, and obviously the ants swarm all over them, and they eat all the parasites. And eventually, the tortoise thinks, "Right, I'm clean enough," and walks out the other side. Wow! Of it. Oh, yeah, isn't that nice? That's, That's very amazing. good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, symbiotic relationships. I, I read about hunting the way that ticks hunt, which is really nice. The article I read said that they are patient hunters, and the idea is that what they do is they wait in a spot where they see where something is coming along. They wait for the thing to come up to it, and then they just step onto it. So that's their hunting. There's no, they can't leap. They don't chase anything down. They just wait. Like waiting for a tube train. Then you just wait at the platform. Exactly. And see what's coming. Yeah, they patiently wait and just step on. Like the they, they climb up a blade of grass. 
and they cling on with their second and third pairs of legs. And their first pair of legs... Actually, they've got four pairs of legs, haven't they? Because they're arachnids. But their first pair of legs, they just hold out in front of them, waiting for something to get near enough for them to cling on to. It's called questing. Isn't, questing. That, isn't that nice? Questing. There's a special name for it. That's very good, yeah. Um, <laughs> just on the subject of allergies, um, odd allergies, because you know, that's, that's an amazing thing to get. You can't eat meat anymore. Uh, I read a story about a, a court in France has given a £500 a month disability allowance, so equivalent £500 a month, uh, to a lady who uh, claimed, and they've recognized this as an allergy, that she's allergic to Wi-Fi. So she oh, said she was on. allergic to Wi-Fi. Uh, hypersensitivity. Ruben is the guy. Every five years he comes out with something and he says, mate, you're lying. Right. Ruben is a guy who gets these people and he they, uh, look up electromagnetic hypersensitivity syndrome on a good friend Wikipedia and you'll yeah. see Ruben, 2010, 2005 and there's one coming out in 2015. And he, he's a guy who gets them in a room and then in a double blind says, how do you feel the symptoms now? Are we switching it on and off? And they always fail. Oh, well, you should get yeah, over to there. Yeah, yeah I can't yeah. believe they gave that to her. <laughs> um, you know you can be allergic to egg yolks and not egg whites. Different chemicals again, proteins. Yeah, that's how specific wow. allergies can get. Mm. And you can train yourself out of allergies in some cases, and some cases you can't, and you can then pick up allergies. Uh, the, the human immune system is wonderfully fiendish. So on the, on the training yourself out of allergies thing, I read that you can train yourself out of, a, for example, a peanut allergy, and they tried it with a group of children by slowly exposing them to, you know, first very, very small amounts of peanut and then gradually increasing it. Mm. But the only thing is, if you then can have, say, five or ten peanuts and no, experience no ill effects, if you then think, oh, well, that's fine, and you stop eating them, then the tolerance goes away. So you have, perversely, you have to keep eating peanuts the thing you were allergic to in order to keep yourself not allergic to wow Mm. yeah isn't that strange yeah that's amazing wait so if you're allergic to peanuts what are you actually allergic to because peanut is i'm gonna sound really dumb here but it's not a nut is it it's It's a legume yeah so and it's poorly understood exactly as to what's going on but the current theory relates to the processing method which in the west involves high temperatures Okay. okay, so if you get nicotine, we're just sort of drifting off onto a side thing here, e-cigarettes, nicotine of itself has various properties, not too good, not too bad, mixed, but when you burn it, you create so many different chemicals. You've heard of that nasty stuff, the dioxins? If you get a backyard compost pile and just some leaves and, and burn it, you will create some dioxins because you'll have a range of oxygen availability and temperatures that you will create some nasty chemicals. So right. burning anything creates bad stuff. Pollution is bad in that sense. And so in China, where they do it the old way, no such thing as peanut allergies. Really? Don't exist. No. So there's something going on, still trying to find out, but... We'll find out soon. Wow. Um, we need to move on to our next fact. Um, can, I, can I just check? Obviously, uh, I, I seem to be a magnet for dubious facts. So I just <laughs> want to check one last allergy. Uh, there was a, a girl called Grace Morley. Um, so she wasn't allergic to apples. She wasn't allergic to birch trees. But if she ate an apple near a birch tree, she had an allergy. Yeah, you can have um, pre-triggering. Look up pre-triggering in um, the magazines and Google search, look up the word review. Okay. Review, and you will find that could possibly be. My wife is a GP, and she had a patient who was allergic to water. 
Oh yes, yeah, I read about because this. Because then you're allergic to your own sweat and so it's it's madness. You get yeah, well. Look, all you have to do is be around long enough to love another person very much in a special way, have babies, and then you can die. As from an evolutionary point of view, yeah. actually being alive and comfortable doesn't come into it. Yeah. So what is this? Allergy they have rashes on their skin if they wash with water. It's the ions in the water, non-purified water, does something to your skin. So if you have to purify all the water that you drink, and then pretty much any water that you come into contact with is not, including your tears and your sweat, bring up like rashes on your skin, yeah. and it's really uncomfortable. And there's another allergy, uh, which is that some people, some women, are allergic to some of the chemicals in sperm semen. Yes. Imagine, yeah. imagine, mm. imagine if you were allergic to both sex and water. You yeah. couldn't get clean and you couldn't get dirty. But you can pass <laughs> Time for our second fact, and that is Andrew Hunter-Murray. My fact is that the Millennium Bug is going to hit in 2038. <laughs> That's my fact, and I'm sticking to it. Um, Explain yourself. <laughs> okay, so the, a lot of computers uh, these days uh, uh, run on 32-bit processors. The processor is the central calculating bit, basically. And um, they can handle 2 to the power of 32 different values. And one of the ways they count value is seconds. For some reason, all computers count from the 1st of January 1970, known as the Epoch. So they can store about 2 billion positive values. 2 billion, 147 billion 483,647 positive values, or seconds in this. And that number of seconds after the 1st of January 1970, it's 3.14 in the morning and 7 seconds on the 19th of March 2038. And some computers at that point will go a little bit haywire and not be able to keep counting the seconds upwards. Wow. Now... It's not going to be catastrophic. <laughs> I'm already panicking. You shouldn't have said Millennium Bug. Well, there is good news in one sense because a lot of, I mean, most new computers these days run on uh, 64-bit processors and those are capable of going for another 292 billion years. <laughs> I don't trust them either. That we should be more prepared. <laughs> um, so it's just, there are, but there will be some 32-bit systems in big, things like big transport systems, big embedded computers that are really hard to get at or update so some of those will have a problem right yeah so that is the proper millennium bug yeah well they'll be in PLCs programmable logic controllers PLCs all over the world controlling how much water goes into a hotel the size of the dollop of cream on your little biscuit, an Australian biscuit called an iced vovo. I don't know if you have such we high have iced gems. I think they might be similar. Similar, similar. Mm. PLCs have been designed without security, and providing they run, they leave them there. And they're the buggers that are going to cause the problem further down the line. Because you'll have the machines have moved up from 32 bit to 64, and people will be aware of it. Because with the Millennium Bug, the Y2K, as opposed to the Y2K38, <laughs> basically. Um, <laughs> The world spent about $400 billion fixing, making sure it didn't go bad. And all you had was things like poker machines or slot machines in Delaware didn't work and your radiation counters in uh, Japan didn't work and buses didn't work in Hobart. Little little things like that. And according to my mates in the IT industry, they all sweated blood for months and years beforehand getting ready for it. Because it wasn't as though they just did something the night before. They spent months and months fixing things up so it wouldn't happen. This one is going to be nasty. We've come across maybe even a variation of it. 
in the Boeing 787. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was terrifying when that came up in the news. What was this? Um, that, can I, that, that, um, that they recently issued a statement saying, uh, we, it may be the case that all of our engines will shut down if you leave them on for more than 248 days uh, because that number of seconds, the computer can't count more of it, and it will spontaneously shut down into uh, some sort of fail-safe mode, even potentially if they're up in the air. And number one, Do they who not turn is it off so irresponsible they... that they're leaving an engine on for 248 yeah. days? Don't they turn it off when they park? Yeah, but but maybe the clock is still running in the background because ah. the on-off switch is no longer an on-off switch. It's just pretend to be asleep while the owner is there, but yeah. keep on reporting their very thoughts oh. to the mothership. You yes. have no privacy. And in fact, it turns out that 248 days, when you count it in one hundredth of a second, yeah. is 10 to the 32 one hundredths of a second. But they didn't announce so that. People work that out. People think, mm. thought, well, there must be a reason that many days. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also it was involved with an Ariane rocket doing bad things as well. Yeah. Because that, was, that had 16-bit architecture, and that only takes you up to 32,000 or so somethings. And the Ariane 5, which was so much better than the Ariane 4, hated the Ariane 4. <laughs> the Ariane 5, love it. It had too much, the phrase I used was sideways velocity. Now, I guess they must be using it in some incredibly small unit, like micrometers per, per hour or something. But once it gets over 32,000, you've used up the clock on your maximum number. Like, okay, just a bit of a backup for the audience. Numbers are infinite. You're never going to run out. So what's this thing about running out of numbers? But the trouble is that computers have limited storage. Ah. Think about the odometer on your car. It rolls up to 99,000 kilometres or miles and then goes back to zero again. Mm. So that's the whole problem, that you, your clock is suddenly wrong and then you get mismatches. So the Ariane 5 had a problem with that as well. This is also like Donkey Kong, where uh, if you get such a high score, uh, you can't handle it, it goes to the kill screen. Really? That's, that's, wow. Pac-Man does that as Pac-Man well. Pac-Man does it yeah. as well. That's I've never got such a high score. No, that's what do you see? There's an incredible donkey, uh, donkey, documentary, a documentary, <laughs> a documentary, <laughs> documentary <laughs> called um, King of Kong. Highly recommend watching it. And that's mm. that's it. You get to the kill screen. It's known as the numbers can't handle it, and the the whole uh, computer that's sort of explodes oh. within. Well, uh, that Psy guy, the uh, Korean guy. With his, was his yes. style of dancing? Gangnam style. Gangnam style. Gangnam style. So he nearly killed the YouTube counter because 2 to the 32 divided yeah. by a half takes you up to 2.14 billion views. And I saw that they were getting close to the 2.14 billion views out of a world population of only seven. So they then went to 64 bit, which is 292 billion or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, Space Invaders is another game that sort of uh, is the way it is because of a bug. Um, mm-hmm. So you know the, the point of Space Invaders is that you've, you've got to shoot down all the little ships that are coming down to get you, and as you shoot more and more down, they come down faster, and there's a difficulty curve. Mm. That wasn't supposed to be the case when they built it. It was just that uh, when you played the game, the machines that it was running on weren't fast enough, powerful enough. They weren't powerful enough to um, to run the program at full speed. So the program was actually running quite slowly at the beginning. The more ships you shot down, the less data there was to process, so the ah. faster it was able to run. And when they when the guy oh. who made the game ran it he realized that was actually a really great difficulty curve to play the game on um so uh, a couple of things about the millennium bug which i thought you might like to know uh in february 1999 hundreds of people made panicked phone calls to action 2000 which was the british body for dealing with the millennium bug after richard madeley tv host on this morning 
uh, gave people a look at his Millennium Cupboard, which was full of tinned food and candles. <laughs> and he recommended that people stockpile ten weeks' worth of food for after the millennium. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they got hundreds of calls just because Richard Madeley had done this. And the World Health Organization said that nuclear reactors might be at risk. There well, they've got clocks of, in them. They've all got clocks, I know. And, and we will never know how much was because a lot of money was spent fixing the problem and how much was hype. I mean, there was definitely hype, and I think a lot of people made a stack of money selling... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but but I know a lot of IT people who are honest, and they said they worked their little butts off for months. Right, yeah. Right. Um, We should move on to our next fact. I have one very, very quick last thing. Go for it, yeah. On the Millennium Bug. This was a Millennium Style Bug. Uh, So uh, last year, 2014, the US Army sent 14,000 conscription letters out all to men who had been born in the 1800s. <laughs> um, and they sent it to their descendants. So they say, your great-grandfather must report for military service on pain of a fine or imprisonment if he doesn't. Um, there you go. The youngest, of, <laughs> the youngest of them would have been 117 years old. <laughs> okay, time for fact number three, and that is Alex. My fact this week is that Buckminster Fuller's complete diaries take up over 80 metres of shelf space. So the, th- the thing, the thing. Okay, I'll just quickly go through his his life because he's a completely mad individual. I think he's quite famous in America. He was this um, writer, architect, scientist, inventor, general thinker. Uh, he did an awful lot for science. He also did an awful lot for science fiction. Um, he was that kind of area, very kind of theoretical. Um, he, when he was much younger, he wasn't very good at school, but he did a lot of um, practical mechanics. He had all sorts of jobs, inventing from age twelve. Um, he went to Harvard and got expelled twice. I can't find anyone else who's been expelled twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time was suspending all his money on a massive party um, with a vaudeville troupe. Uh, he just took all of the money that he could find uh, and spent it all <laughs> on one big party. And the second time was for general irresponsibility and lack of interest. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Mm. So he was he was a mechanic for had lots of uh, random jobs. In 1927, his daughter died of polio and he went into a very deep depression um, for about a year. Um, he was on the brink of suicide. He went to the edge of Lake Michigan, I think it was, and supposedly had an out-of-body experience and came out of it realizing, okay, I've got to devote the rest of my life to helping to the advance of humanity. Um, so he immediately went into overdrive for the rest of his life and invented all these weird things, made interesting concepts, became went into lecturing and did these incredible lecture circuit tours yeah he wants um, to just i mean because i mean this is a man who his diary uh takes up as we say 80 meters of shelf space so he was writing his diary every 15 minutes wasn't <laughs> yeah. he so every 15 minutes adding new stuff to it um he once gave a 42 hour long video lecture and it's really? on YouTube, and if you haven't seen it, it's one of his finest moments. So not not straight. There was a. I'm sure <laughs> there must have been a 42 minute long lecture. <laughs> yeah, right. no, no. Someone someone once said, and and this lecture, by the way, was called "Everything I Know." <laughs> but um, he, some people who uh, had actually, I read an article by someone whose friend was one of his students, and they said that he could go for no break with no notes from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. with just not stopping. It's just a lecture that, and people used to stay that long because yeah. it was a marathon of of amazing information coming out from the sky but he was very deep like he was one of the early people to start thinking about the environment and he came up with this thing that he called the world game which on the face of it is basically how can we make things better for everybody in terms of justice poverty education with the limited resources that we have because the earth is not infinite and he loved the word dimaxian Mm, now, what's yeah. the origin? Of- so I think um, he used it when he was talking to some friends when he was explaining something, and it's uh, uh, dynamism 
uh, Maximum and Ion are the three. It's a poor mancha of those three. Um, and he, it was sort of his brand. He, all the inventions, um, he could have put this name to it. So the, his diary, he called the Dimaxian Chronophile, which is a great name. <laughs> yeah. the, the thing he's probably most famous coming up with is the geodesic sphere, which is a, a structure that is spherical made of triangles or a, a polygon shape. Um, and it's this um, amazingly futuristic piece of architecture, really. That's what it is. Um, I really love that he came up with it and then a few years later it was discovered in nature and he was really big uh, about about taking he really liked the idea of taking designs from nature because those are going to be the best designs but he actually found this one and it was found to be in a type of carbon which is now called Buckminster Fullerene oh wow yeah. do you know the amazing thing about Buckminster Fullerene is that footballs are in the shape of Buckminster yeah. Fullerene molecules they're ah. a mix of what is it is it triangles and no, some hexagons pentagons and, and some hexagons. pentagons hexagons yeah. and hexagons so yeah, the Eden only. Project is another example of, of one of those domes it's made, that one's made of hexagons but obviously you can divide that up as triangles and the Eden Project was originally an association football and they just kept inflating it <laughs> they never stopped do you know, do you know when, that. so that's uh, the Eden Project is uh, the, the whole building is basically a massive inflatable tent whenever there's a puncture which is quite a lot because of a bird <laughs> they just tape it up did you know that? It's just Man. covered. It's just covered in plaster, like like a bicycle. Bike well, because I, I read that his he had a house which was made of this uh, this globe yeah. uh, as well, and um, he had a, a leak. So they tried to get it fixed, um, and as they were fixing it, they burnt the whole place down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did they so fixing it with fire. I <laughs> exactly. I have no idea what they did, but I maybe maybe that's why they just sellotape things now. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. The, his his invention that I like most. So he made this um, this car of which I think there's only one left now that we have called the Dymaxion vehicle, which looked like a Zeppelin and it had three wheels. And apparently, when it came out, it was the hit of all cars. It could apparently maneuver itself to a 180 on the spot. So if you were driving, it could literally just go because it had right back around. wheel steering. Ah, Once right. it had fixed front wheels and a single rotating back wheel. Uh, that's incredible. And no, no, uh, no rear view mirror. It had a periscope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like, and I've seen a picture. It looks like a combi van. It's amazing. It's yeah. And he he aspired to make it fly later on, but that never came came about. But there, it was so unfair because there was the first prototype um, of the Dimaxian vehicle. It had been on the road for three months, and it was being shown off at the Chicago World's Fair, and it was involved in a crash which killed uh, the driver, and but it was and seriously injured a passenger. But it wasn't the fault of that car. It was it was another car which had caused the accident, but. It sort of set the world against it, and the, I think only two more were built. And there's only, as you say, there's only one surviving today. Yeah. So he deliberately built it not so much as a car, but as something that included car-like properties. So he thought it would be something that would go on water and in the air. And in fact, it was unstable at high speeds on the highway, because, simply because that's what you needed in, for his properties to be a moving vehicle. So he saw it as an intermediate stage and specifically said that it should be driven only by people who were skilled in it. In other words, it's a really unstable vehicle and really scary and you can kill yourself if you try to drive it like a normal car on highway speeds. Okay. <laughs> but it was great. He came up with tensegrity things as well. He's amazing. He made up. I just find he invented everything for himself. He invented his own sleep sleep cycle. He slept. He would spend six hours awake and thirty minutes asleep. And he spent two years doing that. And he says the only reason he gave it up was because his colleagues couldn't keep up with his schedule because he would have twenty two hours in the day when uh, he was working. How did he keep up the diary if he 
updated exactly. it every yeah, 15 I minutes. Know. I, I mm. don't know. But I mean, maybe if maybe he just went back because he knew he was sleeping. So yeah. it would be like 202 sleeping. How many years did he keep the diary going for? Uh, yep. 1920 to 1983. Over half a century. So he started it when he was 25, finished with the diary. He included everything he ever wrote, apparently, since he was four years old. So he obviously kept everything and then put it all together in a diary. Did you hear the story about how he died? Yes, it's it's one of it's it's kind of like the Notebook, the movie The Notebook. He basically he he was according to some sources how he died was he was at his wife's bedside and she was in a coma, and so he was visiting her at hospital. They said that he got overexcited by the fact that he he felt as if she had squeezed his hand back, mm. so as if he'd had some contact, and the overexcitement is kind of what ended him. And they both died. I think it was in the same week and uh, within hours. I within hours, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean it's Good very it's, yeah. Um, and he he had. Do you have what he has on his gravestone? Yeah, um, call me trim tab, which is the trim. A trim tab is a little mechanical component in an aeroplane that uh, mm-hmm. makes tiny movements, but moves the entire rudder of plane, and that makes the, that steers an entire plane. And that was what he wanted to be. He oh. wanted to be. He really believed that a single person can make a huge difference. Um, so he wanted to be that person that was helping to govern humanity into greater. So um, he pop, nice. he popularized the phrase spaceship Earth. He was one of the people who was really yeah, buying that phrase I love because that he idea. loves the idea yep. that um, the Earth is a spaceship. We're all a crew. We have limited resources and we need to act as a big team to kind of keep it running. It's such a good message, isn't it? It's so good. Uh, I've got one last thing on him. Um, he released an LP, a music album. No. Yes, it like he a did. Album? Uh, no, so um, it includes uh, a song which you can see on YouTube. You can see him actually singing it on YouTube. Um, so it's, the, you know, the song Home on the Range. Mm-hmm. So he sang that, but he rewrote the lyrics to call it Rome Home to a Dome. Oh. Hey. Yeah, and that's, that's on YouTube. It was a promotional video for his. Yeah, exactly. So cool. My very, very favourite of uh, Buckminster Fuller's inventions, he, when he used stairs, didn't say I'm going upstairs or downstairs. He said, I'm going instairs or outstairs because you're either going in towards the centre of the planet or you're going out away from the centre of the planet. <laughs> that was his thing about Spaceship Earth. It just makes you think, oh, yeah, I am actually moving towards the centre of the Earth, whereas I thought I was going downstairs. Right. I'm going instairs. He specialised in making up his own words, which yeah. were somewhat yeah. convoluted. <laughs> yes. Brilliant compound words, like uh, omni-self-regenerative, omni-well-info. He loved omni. <laughs> he, everything was omni. He also claimed to have invented the word debunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no one can Actually, debunk it, because exactly. we send it. Okay, time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that Australian scientists have recently named a newly discovered species of fish... Blue bastard. That's the that's the name that they've given it. There is a Latin name uh, that they've given this fish, uh, which is something I cannot pronounce. <laughs> it's so long. Do you want to have a go? I'll have a go. I, yep. uh, um, I think it's called Plectorinchus chiruleonothus. Yep. So it's the chiruleonothus, which when okay. you break it down into two separate words, is blue in Latin and bastard. <laughs> and it's quite nice because that was apparently it was a local fish in Australia that the fishermen, the local fishermen, used to call blue bastard because yeah. they weren't quite sure what it was. They eventually got their hands on it, scientists, and they named it as a species, found out it was a new species. And yeah, and well, that's... They called it blue because it was blue in colour. It started off a sort of yellowish colour and the older it got, the bluer it got. Ah. And bastard because it was really hard to catch because it hung around in murky waters where there were either sharks or crocodiles or both. <laughs> and um, it came into the modern uh, parlance uh, via some fishermen in Weeper photographing it. And here's something weird for you. Weeper is one of the few places in the world where instead of getting two high tides and two low tides a day, you only get one. That was in my eighth book. 
Really? How come? Because you get the water flooding into the rivers from the high tide, and as it comes back, it exactly counteracts the next tide. The low tide, it fills it out and smooths it out into nothing. Think of a bathtub and then a large breadboard. Then with the breadboard, at one end of the bathtub, it's full of water. You just sort of pat, and then you wait for the wave to go down to the other end and come back, and then depending on when you do the next pat, you can either wipe out the wave or you can build it up into something that will swoosh over the edge. Oh, wow. So it's a resonance thing. I found that out by talking to the people at the National Tidal Centre in Flinders University no, in South you Australia. You found it by dropping a breadboard <laughs> into a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been finding out about Australian fish because we've got a lot of great Australian – You rather, you guys have a lot of great Australian fish. Thank you. Um, the number of fish that you've got, you've got unicorn cod – Squirrel fishes, wasp fishes, armoured sea robins. <laughs> I love the sound of an armoured sea robin. Um, sea bats, wolf herrings, gobble guts, pony fishes. Gobble guts sounds very Aussie. Gobble guts is amazing. I can't remember whether this is Australian or not, but there is a fish called the slippery dick. Just want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it is an Aussie, but yeah, there is one called the slippery dick. It secretes lots of mucus. Um, I've just got a couple of things, just because as an Australian, very proud uh, okay. that uh, all these species of fish are being. Named in a in a nice Australian fashion, um, and it was also big news for Australian science because uh, the Ig Nobels, the the prizes that make you laugh and make you think, awarded a prize to an Australian scientist, uh, and it was a, a chemistry professor called Colin Raston, and he's worked out how to unboil an egg. Mm. And so that he won, he won an award for unboiling an egg, which means but, that you could unboil it, separate out the yolk, and give it to the people who are allergic to the whites. Yeah. Is it if your egg's been incorrectly boiled, you can say, take this back, please. <laughs> Unboil it and reboil it for three minutes, not for six. Mm. Well, it might be when you're at home and you've eaten too much and you go, oh, what are we going to do with this boiled egg? Well, let's, let's unboil it and reboil it after you've eaten it. You can't unboil it once you've eaten it. But what about mad cow disease? Proteins. Uh-huh. Right. So imagine we have a situation where in the United Kingdom some people are carrying prions, prions, P-R-I-O-N-S in their blood, which are just proteins that have been misformed and when they kiss another similar protein they misform that imagine you can reverse the process mm. ah see makes you think and it makes you laugh and learn at the same time the ignobles yeah. mm. i do love the ignoble prize and i should mention right at the beginning that i myself have won an ignoble prize that's extraordinary so for those listening who don't know what the ignoble prizes are that is the yearly award system given to scientists who first come up with research that in the, the eyes of the ignobles make you laugh and then make you think. That's right. Laugh and learn. Um, and my groundbreaking research was for belly button fluff and why it's almost always blue. <laughs> no. <laughs> and for that, I got my Ig Nobel Prize. And Harvard showed me so much respect that they flew me all the way from Sydney to Harvard at my own expense. They would not insult me <laughs> by offering me money. That's how much respect it has. That is how highly valued this prize is. And then for the next month, I had people wanting to have a section, a share of my $1 million prize, which they thought was wrongly the Nobel Prize, not the Ig Nobel Prize. <laughs> it was a set of red wind-up chattering teeth on a stick. Right, that was the prize. That yeah. was the prize um, on, on a tile written in very bad color that faded immediately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't realize we had an Ig Nobel Prize. Oh, well, yes, I try to keep quiet apart from bringing it up into every conversation I possibly can as the very first sentence. <laughs> 
cool. So not only uh, is Colin Raston and yourself, Dr. Carl, ignoble winners, uh, there are more. Lawyers, I prefer to call ourselves. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> uh, Nick Enfield, um, he, yeah, he, he called it. Yeah, he worked out that ha was uh, it was a universal word a word amongst languages. Universal word amongst languages. Well, is, the uni- is there a universal meaning? Huh. Huh. Hey, there's an Australian wasp called aha, aha. And it was, <laughs> it, was, it was discovered by a guy called Arnold Menke in 1977, and he called it that because he went aha when he found it. So where does the actual ha? The, no, sorry, the additional I don't know ha. where the second ha comes from, but it's <laughs> yeah. called aha, ha. That's, that's when he that's, told that's, someone about it, and they said aha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> it's also his number plate. Is, is it? it? Yeah. Did he name okay, the fish after his number plate? No, he, he, get the no he got the number. Second? He was just very proud. It was a wasp. Sorry, sorry, wasp. Um, ah. Can I can I mention one more Ig Nobel winner, uh, which was um, it was in the Mathematics Prize for the Ig Nobels, and uh, it was a, it was a, some Australian scientists, and they won it for um, calculating the number of photographs that mathematically will make it highly unlikely that anyone in a group photo has their eyes closed. Ah, Nick, she was my work experience person for no. a while. Nick, really? Nick Spencer, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Well, I bring this up because it's the subject of photos, and when we were looking into uh, just a few things about you as you were coming on the show uh we discovered that you have a claim to the coining of the word selfie you're a part of its uh origin story yeah so way back in 2012 this is in my 34th book um <laughs> the house of carls maybe i forget the name there's too many <laughs> so a guy called nigel hope hereafter known as hope because we australians shorten things down remove all of the following uh syllables and just put a vowel in so not afternoon but avo and hopey um posted that he had fallen over and he'd put his teeth through his lower lip and he had a stitch and gee it was itchy and how long would it take to stop itching and then the dialogue flowed backwards and forwards and at 3.19 in the afternoon I forget the exact day in 2003 I think it was sometime in September he then posted look okay guys I was drunk I fell over um, here's a selfie sorry it's out of here's a photo of my face sorry it's out of focus here's the exact words sorry it's out of focus comma it's a selfie and that according to the Oxford English Dictionary who na- made that word the word of the year in 2013 that was the first time ever in the history of the human race that the word was written down in any medium now known or hereafter yet to be devised. And guess whose homepage it appeared on? Mine. <laughs> the Dr. Carl Q&A homepage. That's so good. Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on Twitter. I'm on at Schreiberland. Alex at Alex Bell underscore Andy at Andrew Hunter M Dr. Carl uh, D-O-C-T-O-R K-A-R-L the long version the long version of Dr. Carl okay so you can also go to Dr. Carl's website he has so many blogs they're amazing we find a lot of the stuff on this show through Dr. Carl he's an absolute hero of ours and uh, if you want to hear our other episodes you can go to no such thing as a fish.com we've got our backlog of episodes there we will be back again next week thank you so much for listening see you then goodbye yeah.